0: hello ladies and gentlemen boys and girls college football fans from across the country and around the world this is tim may with the tim may podcast and uh As it goes, this is a continuum, a continuing conversation about college football in general and Ohio State football uh, uh, specifically. And with that in mind, I've got a special guest today. Uh, His name is Anthony Schlegel. uh, Was my hero long before he ever came to Ohio State because he played at the Air Force Academy for a while. He was going to fly jets. He was going to get jets.
1: No, they they, they wouldn't let me fly. I was going to be a combat controller.
0: I'm glad you left because (laughs) why else would you you go to the Air Force Academy if you don't get to fly F-15s at your – At your point in in life, but we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some other things uh, later on in the show, including uh, this is, as we recorded, this is a special date in, in boxing history and in my history of uh, too because I was privileged to get to go cover the Buster Douglas upset of Mike Tyson in Tokyo 30 years ago, February 10th in Columbus. That's awesome. Febru- That's cool. February 11th it was in Tokyo. It was right. a strange time to be yeah, alive sure. but uh, uh, I'll just tell you a few anecdotes about that experience but back to you Anthony. The reason I wanted you on my podcast, on my show as we call it, is because you were working with uh, Mickey Marathi and the strength and conditioning uh, staff here at Ohio State for quite a few years right. before you've kind of branched out into your own uh private business and we're gonna get to that in just a minute that did that hurt by the way (laughs) uh but uh i want people to have an understanding of what these guys are going through when we talk about off-season winter conditioning program what's at the heart of it in your in your in your mind i mean what what is the main thing you want to get accomplished in two months
1: well it's, it's actually longer than that, right? So it starts in January, whenever the season's over. You gotta give some. But let's make this January, February period. Yeah. You know? Well, we're gonna go January, February, March to spring ball. We're gonna go up to spring ball. So here's the entire point of it. It's, it's setting the standard, right? The cool thing about strength conditioning is that it's a new team every year. And then so you got the guys that are leaving. Great. Who do we got coming back? Then you go down and you're the head strength coach at The Ohio State University, Mickey Murati. You're gonna sit down individually. With every single athlete. They're already they've already sat down with all of their code coach, position coaches. And so now you got a grasp of what do they need to work on, whether it's to see the field, whether it's to take the next step in being a dude, right, here at Ohio yeah. State. And then you take that and say, okay, what can I do from a performance side? Because the ultimate job of a strength coach is to maximize their genetic potential and keep them safe. And some guys have genetic ceilings that are higher than the others. But like if somebody's a genetic ceiling is here and my genetic ceilings here, I gotta maximize that yeah right yeah. and if i can get this guy all the way up or this is his ceiling and he's only here and i'm here and i'm above him because i'm maximizing me then i'm gonna go win that job right And
0: translated genetic ceiling means how big how fast how strong can you actually get without popping
1: right well i mean listen god i mean god made me who i am right i'm like <laughs> yeah. a 6-1 linebacker you yeah. know what i mean and like but he gave me in other things right besides like speed and stuff like i I was able to see i had great vision i had anticipation i knew the game of football but like everybody's a little bit different and so that's the beauty of the weight room so it's what do they have to do to maximize them then you go through and say hey where are you as a competitor right people are like what? what does that matter listen man you teach competitive excellence in the weight room that's what people are like oh it's about reps and sets and weights that's crap like that ain't up that that that's an average coach, right? Average coaches have quotes. Good coaches have a plan. Great coaches have a system. And in a great system, you're teaching. Toughness and competitive excellence. Yeah. Like, that is January to March, right? Yeah. Like, that is what it's all about. And matter of fact, this Friday, they're going to have a St. Uh, Valentine's Day celebration, yeah. right? Yeah. Air quotes. You have, you have to change
0: the names of some of these things to be politically correct. Absolutely. Days, right? yeah. Crap
1: on that, man. I ain't never, yeah. I'm just me. I know.
0: I know. You know? But the bottom line is, I mean, like you're just talking about, every player, you want every – in a team, you want everybody rowing the boat same Bump that we
1: don't row the boat listen well, but no but no but i understand that's, no, that's minnesota no. what i will get
0: to here is though but every every player is at a different level in his development i right. mean from freshmen there are freshmen out here who are working out mm-hmm. who just showed up here a month ago Yep. and then you've got fifth year guys maybe some six-year guys you know justin coop. hilliard coop. Yeah, yeah coop jonathan cooper uh but you've got guys who have been here for a while who are at a different level from a development standpoint how do how do you how do you keep that in mind during these during these three months? Yeah, that's a
1: great point, uh, great question, because everybody's different. So that's why it's critical for the strength coaches that are working with those guys. That's the art of coaching. It's yes. the art of leadership, right? Know everybody's your, a little bit different. Yeah, and so here, here's the one thing. The standard of excellence at Ohio State, Ohio State weight room, strength conditioning, it's accountability, it's attitude, competitive excellence, effort, and toughness. Those are the five things. Of those... Attitude and effort are the number one, right? If you come in the door, you have a crappy juice, like GTFO, like you walk in the door bringing juice because energy leads to enthusiasm, leads to effort, leads to results. So that's the number one thing. And then being tough, right? That's mental, physical, and emotional toughness. So we give them you know, events to respond to. Then you take that and that accountability. Why is so important to each individual guy? And you kind of said it before at the beginning of your question is we're teaching the fundamentals of the game, right? So... Loaded stances, shin angle, not taking a false step. That is every time we do a dynamic warm up. Yeah. What? Don't waste the opportunity. Why does that matter? Well, guess what? If you start working on loaded stances in August, you're eight months behind us. Yeah. Right? And matter of fact, when we won the national championship, Coach Myers said we were elite at two things we were elite at loaded stances. And the difference, which was our striking drill. Fundamentals of the game that we worked on all year long. Like, that's why it's really important. Then you get down to the individual guys. Like Ryan Shazier, he came in at a buck 97. Scoliosis, you know. No hair on his body, right? Yeah. That's because of the disease thing, yeah. Right? Then you got a guy like John Alopecia. Simon, right? And then so, w- how does that work? And Johnny's in there right now. Just got done playing for the New England Patriots. He's working out. Well, this is what the art of coaching does. Say, so, hey, John, you're in here all, you know, every morning. You get in at five fifteen a.m. You know what? We need you to start bringing dudes with you. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna tell you to bring. I want you to go pick out dudes that you know are going to move the needle for our team. Go start bringing them. All of a sudden, it went to Ryan Chazier, and then Ryan needed to gain weight. So now, John, out of his own pocket, was buying Ryan, you know, sausage and muffin with eggs. Like, here's four of them. Pound these as we go to the facility. Next thing you know, there was Johnny's group. So in the— the realm of like strength conditioning in the weight room, Johnny had his own group and he dictated the pace and the attitude and the effort because they're all watching him trying to be like him. Like that's what goes on in this. Now, like you look at Ohio state, Justin Fields has last year. I said in this time is when he gained the respect and confidence of people seeing him and how he competed in mat drills and and agility work. Now it's his opportunity to say, "Okay, I did that last year, but now I'm going to go lead those. Right now, I'm going to take that next step as a leader. Then I'm going to bring other guys with me. Like that's the beauty of what we do and knowing your people." That comes from relationship, and that comes from trust.
0: Yeah, that, that's interesting because as we talk here right now, uh, Justin Fields has got a bunch of the receivers out uh, in the middle of the field, and Working. they're they're throwing the ball in the middle of the day on a on a Monday uh, in in the early February. That's how that's. That's the thing—the continuum I'm talking about about college football. It it really never stops anymore. You remember, remember when you were coming up, you know Highland Park High School in uh, in in Texas yep. and stuff. Was it like was it at all was it an all year affair way back when? Because that was when. What were those? What were those years? Late 90s, the early yeah, yeah late, late
1: 90s. 90s. So here's the deal. Like I mean, it's all changed, right? Recruiting. Right. Like they, they had one day camps that you would go to, and I was a wrestler and I played football. It's like you know we didn't have those showcases and stuff like they do now, and. And you're always working on it, but I, I went from football to wrestling, and then I got done, and then I hit the national circuit because I was a national champion wrestler, and then I came back in, and I did kind of did some track stuff, and, you know, but you're not really going seven-on-seven seven until we hit that time, and then seven-on-seven seven really started and exploded in Texas. Yes. That was like my senior year is when that blew up. Right. They didn't have a state championship, but you would go to a college, and they would have high school teams, and you would go compete there, or you would compete in different districts around the Dallas-Fort Worth area. That, that was like the first year. That was like 99. Yeah. So, the it's completely changed the dynamic. However, the thought process of perfecting your craft is something that never changes. And I think that people like, oh, college football, they're working on it, you know, NFL football, they're working on it all year. Guess what? If you're in a business or you're an employee or you're a teacher, you're doing something and you don't work on your craft all year, you're doing a disservice to all the people that you serve. So poof, David Copperfield, like respect what these guys do, right? But guess what? Go out there and be a better you. Right. Bam.
0: Right. Bottom line is, I mean, you know, I keep reminding people where I grew up in Texas. I grew up in Alabama and in Texas 11 years and uh, moved up here in 1976. But, you know, Lufkin High School had an indoor facility about 20 years ago. Oh, good. I, I mean, mean, you know, what we're talking it's about. It's a different uh, game. Hey, I want, I want to get to this, though. Uh, as, in the years you were here, who, name me a couple of guys that you really saw just make huge improvements during this time of the year that that got them on the board, if you follow my drift, meaning they were, who is this guy to, this guy's got to play. You know what I mean? I mean, just give me a couple guys that you can use as examples who made tremendous strides in the offseason.
1: Man, I tell you, that's a long time ago. Yeah. You know, I think a guy like, you know, here you go, Taylor Decker. Yeah. Joshua Perry. I'm just talking more recent guys. Of yes, that's coaching. what i talk about. Yeah. Um, really, I mean, again, Joshua Perry came in bench versus 225 this many times. You know what I'm saying? Taylor Decker. Decker. He knows it, right? Soft when he came in here, like. This is where you develop that, right? This is where you get that um, and drop the rope. Like, don't let go of the rope, and we're doing that, and you're just building that toughness, and then all of a sudden. But Taylor embraced that, right? Like, he knows, hey, this is making me better. I trust my coaches. I trust my teammates. I want to go get that. They need me. All those things that go into it of how you're inspiring an athlete to go be better for his teammates, right, to be a servant. Like, those are all the things that you're working on in January through March. And so – I think like Taylor. I think like a guy like Nick Vanette. I think of a guy um, go, Joshua Perry. Um, those those are really where you get a lot of gains. And then guys like Ryan, those type of guys like Ryan. Um, this is the time where they get to put on some mass. Yeah. Right? Like, this is – okay, you just got done through a season. And, again, I went through that. I played at the Air Force cabin. My last game as a freshman, I weighed in at 2.05. You know, I'm in there getting all sorts of demerits because I'm hiding chocolate milk and, like, eggs in a Coleman cooler, like – you know Shawshank Redemption, yeah. the Shawshank deal. Like cut out books and there's a cooler. You know, like but that's it. Now the time to like, hey, let's get big, let's get strong, let's apply power to the ground, and then let's get tough. So that, that's kind of the beauty of this month. It's not necessarily we got to be in super awesome football shape right now. We can put some iron on there and get give, hey give talk a little to me about
0: that real quick though. You were at the Air Force Academy, where lean and mean is kind of the approach, you know I mean? Uh, yeah. I'm talking about for the whole student body. Yet yeah. You've got to have coaches sitting there screaming at you. you got to get bigger and faster. You know, I mean, that, that had to be an interesting... It was an interesting, interesting dynamic. Interesting
1: uh, challenge. Yeah. Uh, the challenge was not necessarily from our coaches. It was from the other cadets. Like, yeah. It's like, listen, you're up here. You go play intramurals. There's no disrespect for intramurals, but a lot of disrespect to them. Like, it's not college football. Right. So, you know what? GTFO, like, I'm going to go get big and do what I got to do to go play on saturdays and represent you and i had a conflict with that because i'm out here representing you and you're not letting me do the job which i'm doing yes like i'm gonna go serve the military and do that as soon as i graduate but like right now accomplishing the mission is me going knocking somebody's junk off right period right so i need to go lift some weights and drink some chocolate milk if i'm gonna be able to do that yeah and so either there you're gonna
0: be flying cargo planes go ahead now no
1: that's it i mean so (laughs) so then you take that and and, and like they just got a brand new weight. Room. I mean, they're dropping so much money. And again, the Academy did great. They got ranked in the top 25 yeah. at the end of the year. Yeah. They just got a brand new weight room, uh, weight room in by Swornix. Like they're investing in their guys because they see it. And, matter of fact, here's the biggest difference. There's been a, just talking military, there's been a cultural shift in the military about having a tactical athlete in that mindset. Like you're seeing that Army just changed their combat fitness test the new Army uh, combat fitness test, the AFCT. They added a deadlift, they added a uh, a knee tucks and a sled drag carry and a two, it used to be just push-up, sit-up, two-mile run. Now it's completely different because they want a total, you know, soldier, yes. not just somebody that can just go run two miles yes. and do a bunch of push-ups and sit-ups. Like, I got to be able to do some things if it's bringing somebody over a wall or carrying, you know, rounds for a tank. Like, it's the total, complete tactical soldier is what they're going after. That mindset is, has shifted and has allowed the Army, and the Navy, and the Air Force Academy to really invest in their student-athletes because— that is,
0: That is interesting because, you know, it used to be, you know – you wanted the football, the football coaches preached the military aspect, you know, the military mindset of all for one, one for all, and, you know, foxhole, and all that kinds. of stuff. That's all and, this, too. Yeah, I know. And now it's bleeding over the other way, you know, it's like, because like you said, you want, you don't want just get a guy that can run two miles, you want a guy who's can carry your buddy out, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know,
1: And you had, you had Siri training, you had recognition, yeah. we get different yeah. things that did that, but sure. at the end of the day, the beauty of like, and again, I talk about college football, because that's what I was in, is the fact that you're with these guys for four years, and they develop, and you're, you're bringing them along like we talk about it all the time the 1080 10 rule of urban meyer and like it was here's your top 10 here's your middle 80 here's your bottom 10 low gsf you know disinterested you gotta go but the whole thing is how am i developing this bottom 80 into the top 10 and the top 80 into the or the bottom 80 and the top 80 and the, the middle, the top 80, into the top 10. And yeah. and that's when I really started getting a team. The only way you can do that, coaches can't do it. There's only, you know, 10 position coaches and five guys in the weight room. Like, we can't do it. The kids have to take ownership. They have to buy into that. And so that's where we come in through trust and say, listen, you need to go help your buddy out. You need to bring this guy along and work on technique and fundamentals. And, and that comes with competitive excellence. By us training competitive excellence, they ain't afraid of losing their job. If you're not afraid of losing your job, you have confidence. You want the entire team to be better because what happens if something happens to me i want the next guy to roll in so why won't i give him that information and lessons that i've learned unless yeah. i'm afraid right and you're only afraid because you haven't put the work into it you see what i'm saying yeah, I'm with you. like when you're confident like listen i'm gonna share yeah. everything
0: let me ask you uh this is the interesting thing that I, that intrigues a lot of people out there high state fans w- what is the genius of mickey Marathi? if in fact there is genius oh, hell there. yeah, there's I mean genius obviously there. there's
1: hard work
0: but what wh- wh- what would you define as the genius of Mickey Marotti and his approach? I
1: think Mick is one, he's a tough western PA you know, old school full back strength coach that grinded his way and he, and again, this is one of the things that I, I love about him because I grew up at Metroflex Gym in Arlington, Texas. Branch Warren, Johnny Jackson, eight time Mr. Olympia, Ronnie Coleman. Like, that's my environment, right? Like, that's yeah. how I talk, that's how I train, that's how I do business, okay? You know, all gas, no brakes, attitude and effort. Anyways. Oval Nick,
0: racing, ladies and gentlemen. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: Mick, Mick is that. And then through that process, you see how good he is with the relationship with guys. Then, most importantly, his relationship and being able to communicate with Coach Meyer about what the team needs. So, here's a disconnect at everybody else that's average in college football. There is a huge gap between the head ball coach and the head strength conditioning coach. When they're on the same page, speaking the same language, there's only one language of Ohio State football, and it permeates the entire culture from January to December 31st. Poof, David Copperfield, like If you want your business to do well, have one language. You want to come in, I'm a strength coach, hey, here's what I like, guess what? When you become a head strength coach, you can bring that to the table. Yeah. But when you're here, this is what we do. He is the chief operating officer of the Ohio State University LLC. When Ryan Day is the CEO of it, right? So you have that. Now you're building guys the entire time, and you know when they're when they're good and when they're bad. Like you have that rapport with them to where if a guy is struggling and I'm constantly on him, that one day he comes in and I know he's down and defeated. The art of coaching. I'm going to say, you know what? Hey, get your knees up. And, like, completely changed my tone and my demeanor. But, like, on that day, that kid's going to remember that. Then I bring him into my office and I have a a conversation with him because I'm here to maximize the student-athlete. I am serving them. That man understands that his entire staff this is that way. And now, now you've seen, like at Ohio State, Brady Collins goes off. And I mean, there's head strength coaches from Mick's tree all over the place. But it's the relationship with the head duck and Mick that oversees everything. And he and he runs the training room, he runs the nutrition, he oversees all of it. Yeah. And that's critical because guess what? College athletes, just like your seven-year-old or your thirteen-year-old, they'll give, they'll take what you give them. Yeah. And guess what? Every area of this building, nobody can take anything because it's all the same.
0: Yeah, and the creativity has because, like I was talking about a while ago, circling back. You know, you've got first-year guys who've been in on this campus for a month, and you've got like these fifth and sixth-year guys who've been here for a long time. You, you can't be the same old same o from one year to the next. I mean, you know, from a workout routine and things like that. I mean, certain things. No, no. I know, he, I know there are certain things you have to hit, but what what he's gotten me is how he is being creative and kind of getting the same, you know, results. the same same results done, and then and then on top of that, adding on top of that.
1: So, so yeah, so here's the thing. Coach Mick does uses a hammer strength row machine because he knows that on a hammer strength row machine, if a dude's doing four plates the right way, that's a strong dude. Yeah. So I mean like he has the system. He has the benchmark. Right? So yeah. like so like at the end of the day, I'm telling you right now, it's not about sets and reps. It's about everything else that goes in there. It's about coaching the partner to be engaged and spot his teammate the right way. The 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 weight room protocol, there's tweaks. All right, you, you refine it. Yeah. You adjust it to your maybe a little bit of your team or, or a guy individually, right? You grow with the times. You bring in relationships with the Air Force Research Lab. When I was here, that I helped do because I was getting an MBA, I was like, these guys were legit. Yeah. You, you bring in new information that will allow you to be elite. And you embrace that, and then you apply it that fits into your system. You just don't do it to do it because you're trying to stay up with the Joneses. You do it because you own it. A purpose. Yeah, it's very intentional. It's very purposeful. And it all goes back to serving the student-athlete. So with that being said, like that's kind of part of that genius. He knows what he's willing to bring in and and how it's going to fit, and he's going to vet it through himself and his staff before it's something that's actually like an all gas, no brakes. There's going to be a certain amount of guys that he does that with, but then all of a sudden, boom, it'll be team-wide. And like, that's the standard. And that's what he does really, really yeah, well. Yeah, the
0: greatest thing, uh, I think the greatest thing about genius, as I call it, you know, is accepting the idea that you don't know everything and be willing to embrace a new concept, a new idea, just like those, like you're talking about, the... Uh, the Zephyrs. The, yeah. The, the, the Zephyr,
1: little, Omega Wave, Polar, it doesn't matter. Right. Like, all, all that goes back, and there's so many different things that people don't know about. It's like, you have sympathetic, low sympathetic, parasympathetic... How you treat a guy based on his central nervous system is different per player. Yeah. And matter of fact, you're like, well, what do these guys have to be stressed out about? You break up with a girlfriend. You got a test that's jacked up. You got family problems at home. All those are stressors that go into why that guy's not meeting his working max uh, percentage on that day. But me as a coach have to understand that and then go back and look at what he's doing and say, okay, here's how we reset this kid. Yeah. Bam. So like that that is part of the system that people don't understand. And you have to be able to... You, as the head strength coach, have to be able to fully understand that, have it divvied out to your strength staff to be able to then go execute because you can't do all those things yourself.
0: We're standing here; we've got a machine, a part of a machine between you no, and me. No, it is.
1: It is. It man. This is uh y-
0: your invention, your innovation. Yeah. Uh, tell people about this. I mean, you're selling this I, basically right here, man, right here. all around the country. Yeah. What, strike- what, what do you What do you call this machine?
1: All right. So this is called the difference, the ultimate striking machine. You know, I mean, it's not rocket science, right? So this is the uh, the thing that we did at Ohio State. We won the national championship. It's basically, you're there, I'm here. You know, quick whistle, hands on thigh boards, elbows in, thumbs up, just working on hand striking. Right? We did that before every single practice. Yeah. The difference drill. Yeah. And then it kind of went to, okay, Coach Meyer wanted to work on this in the offseason. It's like okay, how are we going to do it? Chris Ash and I are talking. Well, we cut forty-five two by sixes, and you would hold one. I'd hit you five times. You hit to me. You hit me five times. And then if you look, we're in the indoor. Their weight room is across, you know, across the field. There's little holes in here where they used to have in-ground sleds. Yeah, I'm like all right, this is stupid. One, NCAA, I couldn't work on striking with our guys on the field using football products because it's an NCAA violation. Right. So I said, bump that. I'm going to take it and put it in the weight room. And the whole premise is I wanted to eliminate the partner because if you coach out there, you know partners suck. They're all leaning this way or they're not doing it right. They're
0: protecting themselves. Yeah, right? Yeah. So
1: I don't want that. Eliminate the partner. Take it to where the customer is in the weight room. There's physiological benefits, but let the whole premise is theory of marginal gains. How do I get a dude 5,000 reps of striking elbows and thumbs up all year? Period. Like, that's it. Like, number one premise of why I did it. and I And what sold me on it and again, this started with a dip bar, two pieces of angle iron, a 70-pound Toro Lawnmower spring, a two-inch square tube, and a two by six wrapped in carpet. I stuck it on a weight rack and I'm sitting there and, cause I had the kind of the low, you know, GSF kind of, hey, I'm overweight, I need to be a dude type guys. And then I'm in my office and all of a sudden Pat Elfline leaves Coach Mick's rack, because that Coach Mick coaches the dudes. Yeah. And he went down there and he got he was transitioning from guard to center and he got twenty air snaps right and left so snap and strike 20 to right 20 left got a protein shake and left the building i'm just like that's the why yeah i'm like that's it yeah. the dude just got 40 reps of his craft in the weight room and left it took him all of maybe 5 5 minutes yeah but he just got better there's nothing out there that could do that and so you know it's one of those deals in college football do you want to chase the dragon i'm from Dallas Texas i played at Ohio State i'm I know it here. I got an MBA from the Fisher College of Business. I'm like, Steph... I'm convicted about it let's ride and but, then my wife's like okay no benefits no paycheck uh, and a machine that nobody has that's completely stupid okay <laughs> yeah.
0: but let's get into it. I mean this is what's interesting to me is the blocking sled used to be the be all and end all yeah. way back when but you know ever since hands have been illegally <laughs> well, allowed you have to be to part of the, of the game because of the concussion game right e- exactly but, but since they've been I mean this is like one of the great innovations out there because it is all about the
1: first strike you yeah, know absolutely, so to man. speak elbows in thumbs up guy who's plus it's so like there's so many different things got the sleds are so freaking big yeah listen why receivers and dbs ain't hitting the sled folks yeah. Yeah. i'm like so you got to get them things that they can hit like my seven-year-old can hit this product because it has a green spring a white a gray and a black all for different purposes right you can throw med balls at this thing yeah i do lacrosse i was teaching lacrosse how to deliver a blow speed to power on this with the lightest spring on because that's their game so there's so f- first off multiple sport Both both genders, like, everybody can use it, but in our game in particular, 21 of 22 people use their hands on every single play. So why not get those reps? And a sled, like, you got to bring our sleds. Like, we have have one down there for the D-line that they use, but everyone else is outside. And you're in the north, and it's cold? How am I going to work on my steps? And if you watch little kids out there, they they step, but their hands don't move. So I want to work on hands and feet, just like we talk about in a ladder. Well, I can do that right there on a weight rack. All all winter. Yeah. Well, you ain't going outside in Columbus, Ohio, or yeah. Michigan, or wherever, but you can do it right there in your weight room. And that was kind of the why. It's just, and then you look at. I'm sorry, I'm kind of going in, but then I saw. I got out of the bubble of Ohio State Strength and Conditioning, and then I saw how we warm up for practices. This is probably similar to high schools. You do a band stretch, glute activation, hurdles, dynamic warm up, first period of all practices. Think about this. Yeah is either punt or hand striking both of which use their hands and no one has warmed up their upper body yeah. so now it's like listen why wouldn't you strike this 20 25 times before practice now their central nervous system our upper body is activated Guess what? They're more likely going to be able to have a better strike, and it's safer because their elbows are in, thumbs are up, as opposed to going really, really wide. So now it's not just an off-season product. It's an all-year product, full utility. Every sport can utilize it. So it's fun. That's what we do.
0: I know. And I look at it, this is like, I would call this like in boxing, this would be the speed bag. I mean, you've got the heavy bag, which would be more like the sled, you know, the way I looked at it. But this is more like the speed bag you hit that just teaches you uh, a basic, a little more precise uh, what do you want to call it? Strike, but also bringing yeah. bringing your strength to the point of attack, etc. Right. Yeah,
1: I mean the cool thing too is like this is the gray, like yeah. that's the gray spring. So yeah, you the black. And the grade, like, you can come out of a stance on it, like a sled. Now, it doesn't move, right? But, like, to get that initial shock. And then it's building up your forearms and your and your wrists and your thumbs. Like, all, all the things that we go into, man, I get to camp and my, my elbows and my, th- my forearms and my wrists are sore. Like, you eliminated because dude's been striking all year. Yeah. Like, that's the funnest thing for me is when I'm talking to coaches. I just want to add value to you. And I know how this works. It's like, this is something that, even if a kid's a third stringer, practice squad guy he can get better on his strike which gives you a better look and potentially he can work his way up and he has more confidence Ed Warner had one of my original ones for his son Edward who played was playing at Michigan State and he stuck it on his gorilla and every time he drove home or got into his car or got out of his car he would strike it off his gorilla 20 times Wow, wow. and then his first day of pads he sent me a clip he's like thanks. And it was him coming down on a guard, striking, shedding, and making a tackle. And I'm like, bam, that's the beauty of it, you know? Yeah. And that's what it is, just make making dudes better. Yeah. But it's the same philosophy that I learned from Mickey Moratti. Hey, stick around. I want to ask
0: you one more thing. Uh, we're going to be back in just a moment after this word uh, from one of our sponsors. And I'm going to keep Anthony Schlegel here for one more segment because I wanted to ask him about a guy he knows pretty well who, is, who made a big, big decision in his coaching career uh, over the weekend. Yeah, uh, let's do it. We'll be right back. Yeah, we're back, ladies and gentlemen. And, uh, Anthony, I wanted to ask you, you know, Luke Fickle. Yeah, my uh, guy. Got, was courted heavily yep. by Michigan State he uh, over be. the weekend. Uh, that's a at least middle of the Big Ten East sort of job, uh, one of the great, maybe the best division in college football, right there with the, with the SEC West. But he opted, as we talk now, he opted to stay at Cincinnati. What's going on there in your mind? I mean, what is it about Luke Fickle? Uh, maybe turning down that job, but also the loyalty he's showing to the University of Cincinnati uh, that gave him his first real shot as a head coach.
1: So I think it's one, Fick knows himself. Bam, here's a word for you, self-introspection. All right, go do that sometime, everybody that's out there that's listening and watching. But you sit down, you talk to your wife, where are the kids, how are the kids, you know, here's what we could do with this program. Then you start breaking down the program, and let's look at it. The dude's gone 11-2, and Past two years, right? Yes. Didn't win the AAC, was second, right? Teams are playing well. Everybody's coming back. Yes. Right? You got a great strength coach at Brady Collins. You got a great culture going on down there. Another opportunity to go, you know, win 11 or 12 or go 13 and 0. Awesome. Right? Then you look at, you take that, all that good, and yeah, I'm making 2 5. Okay, cool. But then I'm looking at Michigan State and you got their recruits. How's it going to fit? What I want to bring in and do offensively, right? Uh, where are they defensively? What does their strength staff look like? Who's on their staff? Hey, if I leave, who's going to be the head coach here? I would say probably Marcus Freeman, right? Well, then who on my on my staff is going to stay with Marcus, and who's going to go with me yeah. to Michigan State? All right. Do we want to live in East Lansing? Do we want to uproot our entire family, of which the dude has six kids, multiple sets of twins? OK, a lot of people you got to move yeah. right and go up there. <laughs> that's a big truck. And do that for what? Like, yeah, maybe double my salary over over the year and we get a five year guarantee. And yeah, that's a lot. But like Fick is so grounded and knows himself so well and trust his wife, you know, completely on where they are, you know, as a family. Like, that's what moves the needle for him. Yeah. yeah. And, and listen, everybody out there, it ain't always about money. You know, so it's about fit, it's about timing, and it's about when you got the shot and you know that you can be successful with it. Boom, you shoot it and you go and you attack it all gas, no brakes. I think with him staying one more year, having three years of being 11 and two or, or or better, right? Better probably this next year. Like the man will have opportunities at some big time. I mean, again, Michigan State's a big time program, but you're for me, you're in the absolutely worst scenario. A lot of turmoil. Don't know who you really got on staff. And you're in the Big Ten East. Bad move. Everybody that has been a Buckeye that stayed in the Big Ten East, a.k.a. Rutgers, right, beat down. Like, if I'm going to go do something, and make a run, I want to go to the Big Ten West in one of those programs. Or I want to completely get out of, I don't want to go to the SEC, I want to go to the Big 12 or the Pac-12 because I know I can recruit. And you have that Ohio ties, so let's say something happens, and he's in Texas. I don't know, maybe in the near future, or a program like that, or a USC. Like, I can recruit. I know exactly what I got. I know the brand. Hey, I got a long-term contract. All my guys are taken care of, right? Yeah. That's a better opportunity for me and my family.
0: Yeah, you know what's interesting is there was that rumor going around that uh, when uh, USC hired uh, uh, Cincinnati's athletic director, that Luke may not be far behind, you know, and yet they decide to stay with Clay Helton. I think the recruiting rankings, the interesting thing is I think you – UC, Cincinnati... Might have out recruited no, USC.
1: I know that for a fact. And uh, you're going. going fact, like, I don't know that for a fact. But you know what I'm but saying. But I'm pretty daggum yeah, sure But it's
0: close. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And uh, you're going, boy. There's something special going on here. You know. And well, uh, why?
1: But yeah. think about it. Why is it special? Yeah. It's because of the relationship and the people. If any family. That's it, man. If you come in there and you watch how Brady and his staff trains their dudes, like kids. If if you're like me, you're like man, I want to train with that guy. Yeah. That guy is going to make me better. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to meet with Marcus Freeman and the coach staff like this guy's gonna make me better and I see Luke Fickle like like this guy's gonna be looking out for my best interest as a man like I want him I want that man taking care of my kid right Yeah. like that's that's why Yeah. and so then I'm gonna uproot all that and now I'm gonna go into a season without even my class makes no sense so he'll have a better opportunity moving forward and I think it just gives Marcus another year of growth to say listen I've been here for the three years that we were you know winning a lot of games, like I should be the next guy. And it gives him a great opportunity to step in and fill that gap. And Mick and, and 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 Fick is always thinking about that. He is a very selfless person. He's a tough cat, but he's very selfless. And so I think he understands a bigger picture as how can I set up some of my guys for success? Should I take something else? Who would stay Right, and if he didn't, and really, if I took that Michigan State job, and I didn't have all those other pieces of the puzzle working together, like I could bring this guy, I could bring this guy, they're locked in. That'd be a lot of you know big buyout. He's probably not leaving right now in February. Like, you know, how am I going to put my staff together? And now you have all that turmoil going on of of putting your staff. So he's like, nope, bad timing, bad situation. Uh, My family's my family's good. My staff's good. I like where we're heading. Boom, go cats. And
0: he's been through. He's been through the experience of a bad situation because when he inherited when he was named the interim coach here yeah. in two thousand eleven that it did, lost all of his stars, et cetera. Uh, the, some of his top five. Dude, or dude's seven coach guys. with
1: one hand behind his back. Right. He
0: I'm, stuck with a staff that maybe he wouldn't have had. He wouldn't have kept around a lot of Well, those here's guys. the thing, too. People don't realize of, of
1: what Tress did in that offensive room, right? Yeah. Like, like, Tress really moved a lot of pieces and helped a lot of people. He was the hub yes. of the spokes. Yes. And then so you eliminate the hub. Like, who's doing that? And then right. Fig, being a defensive guy, like, I can't help you. Like, you got to figure this out and then my 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 best dudes are gone and mm, you know what i mean and then yeah. so it's like it's one of those situations where he did such a phenomenal job it helped set him up for when Coach Meyer came in and took over right. he stayed here he grew, he grew he learned he turned down some opportunities and I think he's got the best opportunity and situation he could ask for in the University of Cincinnati yeah. and I tell you what he's just taken it and ran because of the type of man that he is and, and
0: one quickie I mean I, you know, like you said I thought he got judged unfairly of being a head coach in that 2011 well who judged him? exactly people well, that I don't care well, about I, I know him people I was always saying. people always look finally you know no matter what a great guy you are they look at that 6 and 7 you yeah. know I mean, that's what stands out. But here, here's Luke Fickle. My best friend, one of my best friends, uh, uh, Dom Toberry suffered the loss of one of his daughters oh, in a tragic accident. And I'm sitting there, Go went over to his house several times. It was a tough thing. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, about three days later, they're having a little get-together at his house. And who shows up on a Friday night before Ohio State home game on Saturday was Luke Fickle. Yep. And, uh, and next thing you know – my my buddy Dom and Luke are talking about the old wrestling days and stuff like that. And for the first time all week, Dom DeBerry was smiling and laughing a little. We were all getting into it. But that's the kind of man, when I judge, I know firsthand that Luke Fickle is a hell of a guy. Forget about being a football coach. He's a hell of a guy. And sometimes you make decisions, like you said, for what's good for all of you, not just you. And I think that's exactly what he's done in this case. Yeah,
1: he's he's a phenomenal guy. You know, again, know yourself, right? Like you, if I'm me, it's faith, it's family, and maximizing people. I didn't yeah. say company. I didn't say if I'm a maximize people. It's just what I do. Yeah. Right. And then you go look at like coaching. Is he a good dude? My 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 is for me? Coaching for somebody. Is he a good dude? Does he know ball and can recruit? Yeah. There's a lot of dudes that know ball and can recruit that aren't a good dude. Yeah. And guess what? You can't work with him. You can't be around him. Hmm. You're not going to move my family for him. But Fick is a guy, that, good dude, knows ball, can recruit, man. Yeah. He's got them all. And it's just that's a great testament, uh, testimony to the type of person and character that is Luke Fickle and why they love him in Cincinnati and why his guys love being with him. And I, I guarantee you, here's the cool thing about Fick he will have a lot of continuity too, in his staff, but he's also not afraid to. If there's somebody better, I'm going to go get it, or I'm going to maximize you. Oh yeah, gotta to do go that. be that. You got to do like, that. But like yeah. he's always in with his people, making them better. Like he never loses sight. I'm making my guys better. I'm making my my coaches better, and I still want to be able to go home, be a husband, be a father, and like. And he's elite at that too.
0: Hey, Anthony, it's always a pleasure. Dude, appreciate I appreciate I got to tell you, this guy used to wear. Uh, <laughs> Used to wear uh, camouflage to the post-game interview room. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but I would sometimes I'd walk by and I'd go like this. I go, oh, sorry, I yeah. didn't see you yeah, there. No, yeah, I did. Yeah, you did. yeah, but this is a guy who used to like uh, chase pigs through the uh, piney woods of uh, uh of Texas and with, uh, with wild pigs. and a knife.
1: And, uh, I never shot a pig, by the way. Yeah, I've only know, stabbed him. No, yeah, he
0: has to. A guy has to have his standards. But uh, yeah. one of the great people I've ever met, and we really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, with my it, man. man. We'll for be me, back yeah. in a moment. I'm gonna tell you a couple of anecdotes about getting to cover the Buster Douglas upset of Mike Tyson 30 years ago in Tokyo. We'll be right back. All right, we're back, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, by the miracle of television now, I've got a new cohort here, Spencer Holbrook. Spencer, welcome to the show. You've been on a couple times. I think I have. But uh, I just kind of needed a, uh, what do you call it, a sounding board because I wanted to talk to the folks about uh, 30 years ago uh, this week uh, Buster Douglas went to Tokyo and upset Mike Tyson, a 42 to 1 favorite. Buster Douglas pulled the greatest upset in boxing history. Uh, some people think it's the greatest upset in sports history. But uh I was privileged to get to get to go to that fight, Spencer. And- I didn't see
2: Tim one of the things and I think a lot of people maybe a lot of people my age would would kind of ask, you know, the build up to the fight, yeah. things like that. I just kind of want to know. I didn't realize you had gone to the fight yeah i didn't realize you were there what was before you get started on these anecdotes what's the best thing you ate in tokyo well
0: that's the thing in, in tokyo uh ladies and gentlemen i lost about 10 pounds on that trip because there was hardly anything there i wanted to eat <laughs> uh, this before i discovered the true beauty of sushi and by the way i still don't eat uh, raw fish but <laughs> but I, as i've described tokyo back then it smelled like half cooked fish that's what the atmosphere smelled like in the city and it was it was kind of strange, and uh, I finally found this one sort of burger joint that had—I think it was soy burgers—but they still tasted
1: Would fairly. You eat that like
0: five times? Yeah, I ate there probably three <laughs> times a day. Uh, their French fries were a okay and stuff, but uh, it was a strange time. But but it, you know, it's, it, the buildup that fight was interesting because Buster was given no chance. Uh, yeah, the the day before the fight, uh, Donald Trump flew in with uh, Evander Holyfield and Holyfield's people. Donald Trump, the future president of the United States, to announce the Holyfield Tyson fight which was going to be about 4 months later in in Atlantic City so you know everybody was giving Buster short shrift you know with the exception of me and maybe the people around Buster because as I was there you know I wrote a story the day of the fight a column basically predicting that Buster was going to beat Mike Tyson and I laid it all out you know it was going to happen in the eighth round and and I laid out the fact that uh, Buster was in the best shape of his career by far and that Mike Tyson was in good shape but he was distracted there were a lot of stuff going on in in Mike Tyson's life at that point and so I I just felt pretty pretty as like I said in the story, if uh if Buster could stay away from the uppercut of Mike Tyson, he's got a hell of a shot of pulling this off. Well, it wasn't an easy thing to do though. No, but he but as the fight progressed, you know, he beat up Mike Tyson. He actually beat him up. And then in the eighth round, as he said the other night when we had a little gala about this, uh, you know, he kind of started admiring his handiwork, dropped his guard there in one round, right near the end of the eighth round, and Mike Tyson throws an uppercut, knocks Buster down on the canvas, and Buster's laying there. He's not knocked out. He's punching the canvas because he's kind of upset at himself that he let himself uh, step into that when, in fact, it didn't have to happen. And uh, he got up on a long count, as, what, as we all know, because Don King tried to st- steal the uh, fight uh, afterwards based on that long count. But he got up. The ninth round was the greatest round of heavyweight boxing I've ever I've ever witnessed and uh, and in the 10th round he knocked out mike tyson uh, to mike to the chagrin of mike tyson's stunned fans in tokyo because mike tyson was sort of a cult figure he was larger than life he was larger yeah. than life even though he was about this tall he about your size height wise and uh that's what was interesting about it. but he was built he was built to throw the uppercut but to all those fans it was interesting they just witnessed the greatest upset in boxing history but they weren't that happy about it. It's kind of like, as I said, it's kind of like Bowling Green coming here and beating Ohio State in front of a bunch of Ohio State fans. Probably there's not going to be a lot of cheering. Or App State beating Michigan way back when. Remember that? You're you're
2: there for the – for the upset and you'll never remember yeah i mean you'll never forget it but here's the other thing about it every time there's a big upset every every time that story gets told yeah. more people were there yeah you
0: know well yeah there were like 30 people there but well, now uh, if you ask people yeah. in
2: tokyo there were 3.4 million people there yeah. because everybody wants to say they were there oh yeah absolutely
0: and the interesting thing too is after the fight after all the press conferences and everything i'm sitting there in the middle of the tokyo dome which is about twice as big a building as this indoor facility here and uh sitting there at ringside and i'm writing some stories and uh i look up there i felt his presence i look up there's a japanese tv reporter who i had met along the way when i was there because i you know i I did a lot of interviews then because nobody knew who buster was you know over there and as i looked up at him he starts he goes like this he goes starts going ah he goes you're tim may you pick douglas you pick winter And he reached in his pocket. He pulled out a card. He goes, later, you, me, we drink. And he slammed his card down in front of me on the table. I said, hey, man, I appreciate it, but I got stories right here. I'm on deadline. And he goes, oh, oh, so sorry. And he walked off. But uh, that was cool. But what was really cool was about four, three, three weeks later, there was this big bidding war going on to try to get the Douglas Holyfield fight. And it was going on between, you know, the Donald Trump people, Don King people, Bob Arum, all these folks, and the Mirage Hotel in, uh, in uh, uh, Las Vegas. It just opened like a couple of months earlier, you know, the one with the big volcano in front. And uh, I've never been to Vegas, but yeah. I know what you're talking about. So anyway, I flew out there with, with Buster and his uh, manager, John Johnson, and his trainer, J.D. McCauley, uh, and Mirage became became ground zero for all these people. George Foreman was walking around. All these people were trying to make inroads into getting the next Buster Douglas fight. And uh, as you know, the Mirage finally ended up winning. But it was really funny. I've never told this anecdote, and i got to have to leave words out of it. I hardly tell this in public because it's hard to do without cursing. But uh, where I'm sitting here in the bungalow of the Mirage Hotel, uh, the bungalows are where uh, Steve Wynn, who ran the Mirage Hotel then, uh, he would That's where the most of the stars he would show, you know, his his big, uh, his big shows like Siegfried and Roy Mm -hmm. and all those Dolly Parton, all these big stars that were big back then. This is where they would stay back in these bungalows. And uh, that's where he put John Johnson. And so I'm sitting back there with a guy named Ian Thompson from a from a uh, newspaper called The National back then, a short lived, uh, short lived all sports uh, daily uh, that had it was a great idea, but they just phys- physically, they couldn't make it happen. You know, and they finally ended up f- folding. But uh, it was a pretty cool thing. It was kind of like the athletic now, except it was a print edition. And uh, but anyway, we're sitting there, and all of a sudden there's a knock at the door. And John Johnson goes uh, up to the door, and he answers the door, and it's Don King. And Don King just comes walking in with like three of his, I call him henchmen, with him and stuff and this bungalow was a lower level where the tv was an upper level where a kitchen kitchenette was and and a little dining table with four chairs around it well don king john johnson jd mccauley and this other guy i can't remember who that was sat at this table and they started talking because don king you know but John Johnson and Buster wanted nothing to do with Don King because he had tried to steal the fight away. And uh, so they get up there and they start talking. And John finally kind of like lays the law down to him. He goes, Don, we're just not interested. We're not going with you. You know, we're going another direction. And Don King starts screaming, You are not going to cut me out. And he slams his fist on the table and just starts screaming, You are not going to cut me out. Blankety blank. You know, I was with Buster Douglas when nobody else cared about. woot about Busted Duck, except he didn't say woot, and uh, just kept going on and on, was just screaming. It was screaming so loud, it was literally almost bringing tears to my eyes. I mean, me and Ian Thompson were sitting there going, this is really happening right here in front of us. Well, they all, all four had a, like a soft drink in front of them, and I think Don King had a Sprite sitting in front of him, and uh, and he's just cussing and and screaming and stuff, and he reaches, and he takes a sip of his Sprite, and he says something else, all of a sudden he goes, burp. Like that. And he looks around the room and he goes, excuse me. <laughs> and then just keeps yelling. And then it keeps going, you know. And uh, I just went, man, you know, you Tim- think behind the scenes there's all this like whatever going on. It's just like it was crazy. It's, it's kind of crazy to me that you're
2: able to tell these stories and a who's who of boxing. Yeah. And – in that list, you know Don King and, well, I, and Mike Tyson. You said of Andrew Holyfield, yeah. Buster Douglas, and then all of a sudden, oh by the way, President Trump flew in yeah. before he was anything. Well, he
0: wasn't President
2: Trump b- before he was, he was the president. He was Donald Trump, and yeah. everybody you know, real estate mogul, and ev- you know everybody yeah. who's involved in that. It was crazy times, extended man. Extended circle of this boxing. History that yeah. that you were there to tell. It's pretty yeah. interesting to it was me. It crazy
0: that- times because you know after 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 that uh, confrontation with John Johnson, he went walked around and he walked into the bedroom part and he picked up his phone to call somebody and he lit up a cigarette and he turned around and he looked at me and he winked because he had Don King finally right where he wanted him <laughs> and very few people in life have ever been able to say that. So uh, thank you for letting me tell that little story, man. And you know uh, I really enjoy doing these podcasts i really appreciated anthony schlegel coming on with me today this is a nice thing uh, if oh you're yeah a, if you're oh, a college yeah. program yeah. watching this yeah better, this, better, this is how much football has changed you know go from these really uh sophisticated kind of machines to all of a sudden this this is just a simplistic design but it's just the art of football now is getting that first blow you're an offensive lineman am i hitting know, it correctly hitting that first blow is that, you're a defensive lineman. You know. Knocking somebody's arm off. Of I'm gonna it. have I to mean, get
2: Schlegel to watch this, see if I'm yeah, doing it correctly.
0: Yeah. So uh, anyway, I really appreciate Schlegel. Mainly, uh, what I appreciated was a little insight in what goes on in the offseason program. What are sort of the goals, uh, the direction you want to take with with the different levels of players? You know, from incoming freshmen to fifth-year seniors. It's it's funny because everybody has something they can get better at, but it's up to Mickey Moradi and his staff to figure all that out and keep everybody on an upward plane. But you know what i really enjoyed this and uh until next week this is tim may with the tim may podcast appreciate spencer holbrook being with me we'll see you next time